Lord, as we begin this morning at the 9.30 prayer time, all we have is your word, Lord. Without your word, Lord, we, we have nothing. And Lord Jesus, you tell us, uh, without you, we can do nothing. And it, it, is, it is so true. And, and how we fight that, how we battle that, we are ter- told in your word, Lord, that your will for our lives is perfect, and yet we fight it. But we have, we have your will. It's opened before us. It's your word. And I pray that you would lead us, Lord, into knowing your will. And as you pray, Lord Jesus, I pray for anyone here who's facing something where they are saying the same thing that you did in the garden. Lord, if there's another way, please, Lord, show me that way. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. And Father, I know that no one can reach that place except by a powerful move of the Holy Spirit. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you fill us? Would you come upon us, come upon me, that we would delight in your will? Even as you say to your Father, Jesus, when you said, I delight to do your will. That is the man, the woman, that we want to be those who delight in your will. So fill us with your word, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Two weeks ago was Easter Sunday. We focused at the two services, one of them, the Easter sunrise service over there on Carson Beach, and then also here at the the Sunday morning service in Longwood Hall, we focused on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our scripture at the morning service was 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, verse 3, which says that Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. And that, after that, he was seen in his resurrected body by over 500 people. Forty days after that time, after his resurrection, he ascended into heaven. I grew up personally going to churches in the suburbs west of of the city of Boston that did not teach the word of God. And so I grew up believing that as far as Jesus' time on earth, that was it. (laughs) That was it. Jesus, at least in his physical, now glorified body, uh, would be in heaven for all eternity. Someday, if I was lucky, they used, you know, those kind of words were not (laughs) discouraged. I would be going to heaven to see him. Jesus' mission on planet Earth 
was done 2,000 years ago. It was finished. He was now in heaven. I never remember hearing anything in the churches I grew up in that Jesus was going to return to planet Earth. In my early 20s, I became a born-again Christian. Sadly, I had to leave the United States and go to South America where my father went to a small little church to hear the gospel, the good news of salvation for the first time. I became a born-again Christian a few years after hearing it. And the Bible does teach that you are born once from your mother's womb, but then you need to be born again from above by the Spirit in order to go into heaven and in order to also have your eyes open up so there's an understanding um, of the gospel. So in my early 20s, I became a Christian. Stephanie and I started attending a Bible study at the church we were in at that point. Um, uh, my family had moved all over the place, and we were in Georgia. We were in Vinings, Georgia, in a little Bible study the first one I had ever been in, and people started talking about how the Bible teach it, teaches that Jesus would be returning to planet Earth. At this study, people started talking about how, according to the Bible, in order for Jesus to return, the temple in Jerusalem that was destroyed 2,000 years ago and there's no temple today, Jewish temple today there, um, would need to be rebuilt and the Old Testament sacrifices would be reinstituted by the Jewish people. And then one man there started talking about how in Israel at this time, there were people who had been gathering all that was necessary for temple worship to be reinstituted, which is true. There are people, there are Jews actually throughout the world, but also in Israel, they have everything ready to go. Now they just need a temple. And he said, this man talking at this small Bible study in Vinings, Georgia, he said one thing they needed to reinstitute at the te for temple worship was a red heifer. A red cow. I, I'm sitting there and thinking, what in the world is that? I mean, I, what is this? A, a, a red cow? And, and I was just, I left the Bible study thinking, that just sounds ridiculous. I've never read anything like that in the Bible. True story. This is a true story. At the time, brand new Christian, for my devotion time, each morning I was reading through the Bible, one or two chapters um, at a time. I had started in the book of Genesis, and each day a chapter or two, and the morning after attending that Bible study, I was in Numbers chapter 19, which begins like this. Can I have it, please? Caillou, can I have it? It begins like this. The Lord has commanded saying, speak to the children of Israel that they bring you a red heifer. This is the morning after. That they bring you a red heifer without blemish in which there's no defect and on which a yoke has never come. You shall give it to Eleazar the priest that he may take it outside the camp and it shall be slaughtered before him. The Lord was telling me something. <laughs> this Lord was telling me something mainly. It's true that Jesus Christ was coming again to planet earth to establish his kingdom. What I would learn as I continue to read the Bible is that the verses in the Bible regarding Jesus' second coming to planet Earth greatly outnumbered the verses in the Bible 
about Jesus' first coming. Last week I mentioned it. It's something like eight to one. Eight verses about his second coming to about one verse regarding his first coming. So this morning, in our chapter-by-chapter study through the book of Mark, we come to chapter 13 in which Jesus himself, for the whole chapter, uh, talks to the disciples about his future return, namely his return to planet Earth. And so in Mark chapter 13, verse 1, Jesus had just left the temple for the last time. This very night he would be arrested. The next day he would be crucified. After leaving the temple, verse 1 of chapter 13 says this. You can read along with me. It says again, then he went out of the temple. One of his disciples said to him, teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said to him, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, When will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? Now, importantly, in the book of Matthew, the parallel account, his disciples uh, add an additional question. So an additional question was asked at that time, um, which says, what will be the sign of your coming? and of the end of the age. So uh, in addition to the questions that you see here in Mark um, 13, verse 4, tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled, they said, and what will be the sign of your coming, referring to his uh, return to planet Earth, and of the end of the age. In other words, what is going to happen just prior to your return and the end of the age? What does that mean, the end of the age? That means, among other things, that when Jesus returns in his second coming, it will mean the end of the previous age, meaning he will abolish the reign, R-E-I-G-N, of sin and Satan, in other words, no more war, no more killing, no more poverty. By the way, virtually all poverty traced back to war, greed, and sin. No more government corruption, no more crime. Last week, Freddie and I uh, talked to Pastor Serge. It was his birthday in Haiti, um, and he asked for prayer because, as um, you all know, we very invested in Haiti. The country is now um, carved up geographically by different gangs who are warring against one another. Serge asked for prayer as it appeared they were headed for another lockdown in which everyone is confined indefinitely to their homes. There will be none of that when Jesus returns. None of that. No more fear or sorrow or pain. Isaiah chapter 11, uh, verse 9, puts it like this. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth. And in the Hebrew, earth means earth, the whole earth. Haiti, the United States, Guatemala, uh, Thailand, uh, the Ukraine, Russia, China, The whole earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, meaning people will know the Lord. They will know him, not just intellectually. They will know him as the waters covers the sea. I I can't picture a more beautiful uh, verse in the whole Bible. The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Jesus is coming again. It is something that he said repeatedly. In fact, when this very night, when he was arrested, he was taken away to the house of the high priest 
and they were bringing false witnesses before him and they, uh, he was not answering a word. They couldn't find really any false testimony. So it says that the high priest got up and answered and said to him, tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus said to him, it is as you said, and hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So it, it's, it, Jesus could not have been any clearer that he was coming again. So in Mark chapter 13, verses 5, uh, through 27, actually, Jesus is going to go on and describe what is going to happen just prior to Jesus' return. Just prior to his return and to the coming of the end of the age, at, at which time the end of the age that we're, uh, uh, that we're uh, living in. Uh, we're so used to living under the, the threat of whatever, crime, what must happen to our kids. Can you imagine in, in the, uh, uh, the, the, the coming kingdom, the Bible says it's a thousand years where Jesus will be reigning as a king. Next time I'm here, I'm gonna be going over this in, in more detail. But can you imagine living in a, with your kids and not worrying that their kids are gonna be destroyed by what they see in the world. That is what's gonna happen when this age comes to an end and Jesus comes to reign. Now, again, I grew up in churches that looked at this kind of thing like so much fairy tales. They were too smart for that. That was my family background, by the way. This sort of intellectual snobbery, you, you, and, and you go to places which are respectable, and respectable places, even though the Bible, it's outnumbered eight to one. <laughs> eight to one. Versus about his second return, versus his first return. The Bible's very clear, though. You can't just throw out part of the Bible. So this very chapter, which by the way, is very difficult for me to teach, because it's extremely unpleasant. I, I would rather be, I'd rather be teaching, uh, frankly, Matthew chapter five, verses three through 10. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. And, and that's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus dedicated when you consider that three full chapters in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are all dedicated uh, uh, to his, uh, just like in chapter 13 of Mark, all dedicated to his return. Not quite as long as the Sermon of the Mount, but in terms of amount of space in the New Testament, about the same. Considering how much space is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how much ink was about the second coming of Christ. We have to take it seriously. We cannot avoid this. So in these verses where they ask him, so what's going to happen prior to your return? How are we going to know it's coming? And what's going to happen prior to the end of, uh, of this current age that um, we're in? He goes on to describe a period of worldwide tribulation, a day of wrath, a day, and, 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 and really the word in the Bible is used uh, for an extended period of time, the day of the Lord, a period of time in which, verse 19, if you can just go uh, skip ahead to verse 19 describes it. He's gonna go on and describe a time such has not been seen since the beginning of the creation which God created until this time nor ever shall be. There will be such tribulation as has never been immediately prior 
to Jesus' return to planet Earth. Now, we're going to go through those verses right now, which is a description of these events that are going to happen right before his coming. Verses 5 through 27. Before I begin, there is a major caveat. The Bible teaches that the church, born-again believers, is going to be delivered from this time described in this chapter. In what is called the rapture of the church. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, we read, Paul speaking to the Thessalonians, you turn to God from idols to serve the living God and uh, living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. That's not talking about hell. How do we know that? Because the rest of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians is about his first and second coming. He's talking about, he's talking about um, Mark chapter 13, Luke 21 and Matthew chapter 24. That's what he's talking about when he's referring to the wrath um, to come. It says again, latter part of this verse, verse 10 of 1 Thessalonians 1, whom Jesus, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Born again believers will be taken up, out to meet the Lord into air, in the air prior to the beginning of this tribulation period. So I'm going to talk next time more um, a little bit about that. But here in Mark 13, again, a description of the tribulation period prior to the second coming of Jesus. And he gives nine signs that happen prior to his return. So let's just go over those briefly. He gives nine signs in these O20 verses. He says, you will see false Christs and prophets multiply greatly. And by the way, all these things, um, it's far, far, far more than has ever been in the history of the world. There are people claiming that they are false Christ today. There's a, a young man in the church was telling me a few weeks ago. He didn't grow up in church. He, he, he was invited to a church in Natick. They, it's, it's a church, as I understand it, that's there today. They believe that, that they, they worship a guy. Actually, now it's a woman. It used to be a guy. He died, so now it's the guy's um, daughter. Apparently, this Messiah dies. And, and, and she, this woman, a woman in Korea, is the Messiah. So, but... but um, prior to Jesus' return, there's going to be a great multiplication of this, as well as false prophets just, just sending people, sending delusions um, to, uh, um, to basically um, turn people away from God. Number two, wars, like have never been seen in the history of the world. Famines, that means a lack of food around the world. Four, earthquakes, five, persecution of excuse me believers in Christ number 6 lawlessness just so there it will be a time of just general lawlessness um, throughout the world uh, so what we're seeing now for example in Haiti today will not just be in Haiti it will be everywhere <laughs> lawlessness uh, in verse seven, the whole world hears the gospel. Uh, Jesus says, I think a couple times, um, that he will not be returning to planet Earth until the whole world hears the gospel. The word there in the Greek is ethnos, so it means every ethnic people will hear the gospel. And as I understand it, there are still not a few, but many that have not heard the gospel. Number eight, the Antichrist will defile the Jewish temple, meaning there will be a temple rebuilt and the Antichrist is gonna come in and defile. And the, and the final one is cosmic phenomena. Cosmic phenomena. Things like uh, the, the sun being darkened and the moon being darkened and stars of heaven falling. 
Jesus gives these signs in these verses from Mark chapter 13, verses 5 through 27. So let's start. So they ask him, what's going to happen prior to your return and, and prior to the end of the age? Verse 5, Jesus said, he answered them and began to say, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am he and will deceive many. So right there you have the religious deception, the false prophets, the false Christ. Verse seven, but when you hear of wars and rumors of war, do not be troubled for such things must happen, but the end is not Yet, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And so that, verse seven, the first part of chapter eight, is a description of a great multiplication of wars. Middle of verse eight, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles these are the beginning of sorrows. And so when these things start happening, um, the beginning of sorrows, the word there is labor pains. Um, the, uh, that's gonna mean that when these things happen, uh, you, you can, the book of Luke says, look up because uh, Jesus is going to be coming to earth soon. Verse nine, but watch out for yourselves. For they will deliver you up to councils and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake for a testimony to them. And so that's the persecution. That's the sign that we listed there, number five of the signs. And verse 10, and the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. So again, that is... Uh, number seven, the whole world will hear, the, every ethnote, every ethnic group will hear the gospel, the good news uh, prior to uh, Jesus coming. When I was in China about five years ago with my son Sam, um, my crazy man, uh, well, I, hmm, uh, I gotta be careful because I'm, I, I'm live here on live stream. So uh, this guy I know really well over there um, uh, who was there for 20, uh, 25 years took us to southern China and we, he, he took us uh, deliberately to find an unreached people group. We, we, uh, we met a, a, a gentleman there. This was just north of Vietnam and he took us out to this place way in the middle of nowhere and we climbed up a mountain and there were people living in caves. They were living in caves and uh, they had never heard the name of Jesus. They, uh, we take it for granted. These people didn't have internet. They had, so so uh, G, on, the Bible says that Jesus will not return until the will not return until uh, the gospel is preached to all nations. Verse 11, but when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak, but whatever is given you in that hour, speak that, speak that, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. So that is speaking again there in number five of persecution. Verse 14 says, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea 
flee to the mountains. Now, that is talking about number eight, the Antichrist defiles the Jewish temple. And uh, next time, I believe we're going to be going through more of what this um, is about here. But in verse 14, Jesus, never let anyone tell you that the Old Testament is not written, divinely inspired, inerrant in its original manuscripts, uh, particularly the book of Daniel is attacked as not being um, a, a real biblical document. Well, Jesus quotes it, and that's good enough at this point. That is more than good enough for me. He's quoting the book of Daniel, and in the book of Daniel, written about five or 600 years before Jesus was born, Daniel prophesies that soon before, not immediately, but soon before the return of Christ, an antichrist, um, the apostle Paul calls him the man of sin, the man of lawlessness will rise up deceiving many, and then at one point, he's just gonna throw off any shame. Uh, in Spanish, it's uh, sin vergüenza. He's just gonna throw off shame, and he's gonna go into the temple, say, I am God, and worship me. So uh, that is uh, another sign that will happen Bible says three and a half years, prior to Jesus' return. Let's continue. Verse 15, let him who is, so, so actually when that happens, <clears throat> when the Antichrist goes into the temple, that's where it picks up at the end of the verse 14, where the worst persecution in the history of the world is going to happen. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down into the house, nor enter to take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes, but woe, meaning you're in big trouble those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days and this is just very description yes unpleasant but very descriptive language of how bad it is going to be Jesus doesn't hold back here he's telling us this for a reason he wants all this to soak in verse 8 and pray that your flight may be not may not be in winter for in those days there will be tribulation. Tribulation, trial, affliction. Such as not been since the beginning of creation which God created until this time nor ever shall be. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the days. There will be people who come to Christ in the middle of this tribulation period. In fact, 144,000 Jews will be raised up as evangelists and they will be going all around the world uh, uh, preaching the gospel as well as the book of Revelation says an angel is gonna be doing it. Verse, 20, <clears throat> verse 21, then if anyone says to you, look here is the Christ or look he is there, don't believe it. So here you again, you have false prophecy, false Christ. For false Christ and false um, prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive if possible even the elect. But, the, but take heed, see, I have told you all things beforehand. This is meant to encourage people, us today, but particularly those who are in the tribulation period. Verse 24, but in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars of heaven will fall, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And so uh, that is number nine, signs prior to Jesus' second coming, cosmic phenomena. In verse 27, and then... He will, or, um, rather, verse 26, and then they will see, meaning the whole world, the one big difference between the rapture and the second coming is in the rapture, it's, it's a twinkling of an eye, it says in 1 Corinthians 15. It just happens, boom. Born again Christians, gone, taken up to be with Jesus. And the second coming, it says the whole world will see the Son of God coming in the clouds 
with great power and glory, and then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds from the farthest parts of earth to the farthest part of heaven. The return of Jesus Christ. So we'll continue this next time I pick up here in Mark chapter 13, but why so much ink? Why is this here? Jesus answering the question that his disciples ask him, what will be the sign of your coming into the end of the age? I hope that and I pray, and certainly have, was praying in the 9.30 prayer service and in, in, in this week, that each one of you and myself are asking the question after this, okay, how am I supposed to respond to this God? The Bible says I'm not just supposed to be a hearer of the word, I'm supposed to be a doer of the word. How do I do this? How do I do these verses? What should my heart be towards these verses? How should my heart be responding? Well, one of two ways, if you're taking notes. Number one, and listen to me, please, I beg you. I beg you, please listen to this. Number one, are you going to be delivered beforehand from all that Jesus just described? This time where you better not, if you're pregnant or you're traveling in winter, you're gonna be in big trouble if you're a, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Are you, going to, are you going to be delivered from this time? Again, let me show you the verse that we started with uh, this morning, 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, and 10, you turn to, this is speaking of born-again Christians. This did not describe me uh, prior to the age of uh, 22. It says, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. Is that you? Are you waiting for Jesus Christ's return? I was in church for many years. I didn't, wasn't waiting for Jesus Christ's return. And then it continued, you whom he raised from, uh, rather Jesus, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. If you are not one of these people who turn to God from idol to serve the living and true God, your life will be or, or there's a risk that your life could be. Mark chapter 13. The book of Second uh, Thessal- uh, Thessalonians, you don't have to turn there, but um, it, it describes this is the kind of pe- person who will not be uh, taken up before, or as this says, delivered from this rapture. It's a person who did not receive the love of the truth. Did you hear that? A person who does not receive the love of the truth. When you receive Jesus Christ, you receive a love of the truth. Do you love the truth? Do you love the word of God? Do you love it? Or is it just this intellectual thing that you understand or do you love? If you don't love the truth, do business with God before you uh, leave here today or during this week. So just say, be honest with the Lord. The Lord loves transparency. The Lord says, it says in Psalm 32, he loves the heart that is just transparent for it. God, I don't love this truth, but I, I'm concerned because your word says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, that those who do not love the truth will be going into the time of tribulation. Do you, it's important that you do business with God, but then it continues in First, um, uh, uh, Second Thessalonians um, chapter two, describing these people who will miss out on the rapture, the church taken out, and go right into the tribulation. It says, they did not receive the love of the truth, but had pleasure in 
unrighteousness. Are you a person? I, I gotta tell you, for the first two decades of my life, when it came to loving the truth or loving, uh, uh, or loving uh, pleasure, loving truth or loving pleasure, man, I would fake it on the outside, but in my heart, pleasure went out every single time. Every single time, pleasure would, would uh, over time, pleasure would just win out. So you need to be asking yourself as you read um, what the Puritans called this, this, these terrible verses in, 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 in chapter 13, meaning they invoke terror. The, that word has been changed in modern times. The original, uh, uh, the original word terrible in the English language was it, it, it evoked terror. When you read them, the first question you should be asking is, am I risking in my life being a part of that? The second, um, though, question you could be, should be asking, how should my heart responding? Um, you know, last week we were in the book of John, chapter nine, the story of Jesus healing the man born blind. And I talked about at the end of the service, what's the purpose of our coming to Sunday service and reading the word of God? You guys remember that? I said, what is, what is the purpose? What is the purpose? I, I, I hope it's just not a Bible study. I hope it's just not gathering new knowledge. What did we say the purpose was? That's right. Worship and loving God, which is what happened in John chapter nine. Remember the blind man, born blind, uh, Long chapter there, John chapter nine. But he was healed at the very beginning of the chapter. But by the end, that guy's loving God. He is loving God and he is worshiping God. And listen, it's been a while now, a year and a half, but the same thing needs to happen. 12 p.m. That's my warning. That's my grace warning. Same thing needs to happen through our study of the book of Mark. As we're going through the book of Mark, and we've been it in a while now, by the time we get to chapter 13, we should be longing for that time where Jesus is king. Jesus is King. We began in Mark chapter one um, a year and a half ago where it says that uh, Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee to be baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan. And it says that immediately coming up out of the water. So as Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the, um, the heavens tearing apart, the spirit descending upon him like a dove, and a voice saying, you are my beloved son in whom, you, uh, in whom I am well pleased. It, 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 and we talked about this back in Mark chapter one. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. English translation, not the best. You are my, you are my precious loved son who makes me rejoice exceedingly. And then we got into uh, chapter uh, two, where it, 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 a paralytic is, is, is brought before Jesus, and, and, and people are looking at him and, and, and criticizing him and judging him, and he says to them, which is easier to say to this paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or arise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed and went out in the presence of them all. And then in chapter three, at the beginning of chapter three, he, he heals a man who has a withered hand. He heals a man. He asks him to stretch out. In chapter four, um, he speaks the parable of the sower where he's, he's telling his disciples, listen, you were born to be great, not in the eyes of others, 
or not really even in your own mind, but in this way, that, 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 that your hearts, when, when the word of God is sown on good ground, that th- those who hear it accept it and bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. Jesus Christ came to earth to tell us, you have a great life. You have a great life in, hun- in front of you, a, a life of purpose, a life of fruitfulness. And then we moved on into chapter five, just where he um, um, heals a woman who uh, had spent all her money on doctors. She had a, a flow of blood and she just pushes through a crowd saying, if only I can touch his garments. And she does. And it says in, in chapter five, verse 29, the fountain of her blood was dried up. And then in chapter six, it's, um, um, he was moved. It says his body was broken, a, a, a physical reaction. Um, um, of the sheep of, of the uh, multitude because he said they were like sheep not having a shepherd. And then in chapter seven, um, he brings, there's a deaf and uh, uh, a man who had an impediment of his speech. In other words, he was speaking like, that kind of person, the person that we avoid, the person that we're, is real awkward to us. And it says there in Mark chapter seven, he took him by the hand away from the multitude. And he put his hands in his, uh, in his ears and, and the man um, could hear and, and he could speak freely. In, John, um, in Mark um, chapter eight, um, he, 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 he um, says whoever desires to come after me, let him um, um, deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, meaning that he introduces us to just a life of uh, of where it's not all about us anymore, it's about God. In in, in chapter um, nine, he he, he pleads with the, the multitude, if your hand causes you to sin, Cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God without a foot, without a hand, and without an eye than be cast into hellfire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Chapter 10, um, they're in the middle of arguing about divorce. I tell you, arguments about divorce drive me crazy. People just splitting hairs. A a, a bunch of kids interrupt it. Kelly Davis brought this up a few weeks ago. A bunch of people just interrupt it. He stops the the, the religious arguments and he says this, surely I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And then in chapter 11, um, it says that they prepared a donkey for him and he, they brought it to him and, and, and he sat on it and, and it says that he, um, um, it says in, in the book of Matthew, the parallel account, that he came in lowly gentle, riding on a donkey. And then in chapter 12, they asked him, so what, what, what's all the, uh, the, what's the greatest commandment of the law? And, and, and so th- they had made a mess of God's law. And there were f- uh, Pharisees and scribes taking, uh, uh, taking their spices and their mint and their anise and they'd taken a razor blade and said, let's make sure and get a 10% of these and, and making so much of, uh, of that kind of law. Jesus says, listen, you guys are doing that and yeah, you should do that. You should be giving a tithe, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. And he says, the most weight, the greatest law in the world is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he comes to chapter 13, and he speaks about his return. Here's what the second thing you should be asking. You should be asking yourself and, and, and responding um, is, am I longing to see this Jesus that has been described in this way in the book of Mark. I've been doing all this reading about this incredible son of God, what he did for me, giving me purpose. Am I looking forward? Yes, he's been crucified and, and, and he died for my sins, but away with that scene, am I looking forward to the time where he's my king? Can we have the second verse here? Um, in, in the book of Zechariah, the prophecy, um, the, um, again, about four or 500 years before Jesus, it says, thus the Lord my God will come, speaking of his return, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. What does God want us to do when we're studying the Bible? 
He wants us to love him and worship him and long to see this man, this God, this God-man that was described in the book of Mark as king not only of my personal life but the entire world. That's what the Lord wants to do with you. Worship and love. So I'm gonna call the worship team to come up. If you've been asked to pray, can you come up? Also, thank you for your patience. I've gone a little over. If you have a child in nursery or Sunday school, if one parent could go and get your child and you can return here to this room with your, with your children as we sing this closing worship song. If you've been asked to pray, uh, please come up. And if everyone could stand now, we're going to just close with a worship song. And If your heart has been stirred in any way, if you've been asked to pray, if you could come up at this time. If your heart has been stirred, maybe your heart was stirred by Marilyn at the, at the retreat. But after reading this, you're also thinking to yourself, do I love the truth? Have I received the love of the truth? The Bible says that when a Christian when a man or woman becomes a Christian, they receive the love of the truth. Do I have that? Because I don't want to go into that time of tribulation. Or if your heart is stirred and you're, you just want to pray with someone thanking Jesus for everything he is and who he will be upon his return. Come up and pray. And let's worship. Let's close in worship now. Father, I just thank you for this word. I thank you in Jesus' name, Lord. I pray that you continue doing business with our heart and that we would be blessing your heart, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.